We are in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we are at verse 19. We left off with uh, verse 18 last week. That was redeemed. Redeemed from. And here we're redeemed with. The question mark is what? What's the with? It's the precious blood. We've been redeemed with blood. The price was death. The price that had to be paid to satisfy God's wrath, His justice, His holiness. And so this is why we say that we're right at the heart of the gospel of salvation right here in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, 19, 20, 21. Just going to take a few scriptures and look at the word redeemed or precious blood or His blood, I mean, and see how many times that's listed. And we're not doing an exhaustive search here, but throughout Scripture we will get the idea that this is very, very precious, very important. So let's go back to Romans. It's a good place to go to, isn't it? Great doctrine there. And in chapter 3, where things start opening up. You have deep, dark sin of mankind presented there in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 3, verse, let's say, 21, 22, around that area, uh, of course, 23 sums it up, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. And here's verse 24. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption, there's our word, isn't it? Big key word. Huge word. Which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. I'm just going to stop there. Blood is the key word for the moment. We know a lot of people have dropped that whole idea of blood. You know, the, They don't like anything of the idea of blood. We know they've taken hymns out of the hymn books. They've... Uh, just the whole doctrine of that is offensive to people. It's been offensive to people in, in that been in the church. But this is precious. I mean, this is this is key to us. And right here in Romans three twenty five, it puts together that word propitiation. We'll come back to that in a moment. But dealing with the blood, the propitiation, we've got justification, we have redemption. Those little two verses that we read are really power packed, aren't they? Great doctrinal terms. And we live off of doctrine. What you believe is going to dictate how you live and how you think. And uh, those are key terms. So Romans 3 is definitely a great place to be. But you know what? I don't mind being in Ephesians either. What do you think of Ephesians? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse uh, 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, and this could definitely apply to us, couldn't it? Especially as Gentiles. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's the blood again. It's all over the place. Can't miss it. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews has a lot to say about Old Testament sacrifices and the blood of the animals, and then it shows the fulfillment of Christ. Uh Uh-huh. 2.13. 2.13. Okay. All right. What uh, translation you have there, Barb? You've been, you've been reading too much Greek, I think. Huh? 
How's that Greek class going along? Okay? Getting all the grammar rules down. Yeah. Well, I feel for you. <laughs> it's worth it. Hebrews 9.12 And not... Okay, let's pick it up, verse 11. Uh, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves. So there's the negative. Not through the blood of them, but through His own blood, He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So there's blood and redemption again, and we're talking about paying the cost. It's all been paid. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. If people would really think about that, it might make a little more sense. Jesus paid it all. He bought us. If we are bought, He is not such a God to just let us go, is He? Just think, I just threw that one in. Just wasn't on my notes or anything. But doesn't that make sense? The whole part of redemption is mean He bought you. First Corinthians chapter three, He bought you. Chapter six, we are His. Uh, I've been saying that a lot. Yeah, precious, precious blood, right? A real buying. Well, go to chapter ten. By the way, this is interesting. You have a high priest here. And that's comparing to the high priest in the Old Testament that would go into the uh, the uh, uh, tabernacle or the temple all the way to the holy place, what, once a year, right? Uh, and But he didn't bring his blood in there. He brought the blood of, of the animals. But here you have the one who is the high priest who also is the sacrifice, who brings his own blood. Did you see that in verse 12? He entered the holy place once for all. Through, through the, uh, but through His own blood He entered. Okay, chapter 10. That's fascinating, isn't it? There He is, the high priest and the sacrifice at the same time. Chapter 10, verse 19. And He's still interceding for us. Right now, as we're here in this Bible study, thank the Lord He's interceding for me trying to present something here of, of things that are you know, way beyond myself. There's no way I could even understand these kind of things unless God's Spirit is working and His Word. Um, so it's really, it's really all His thing. Uh, chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place... Why do we have confidence? By the blood of Jesus. According to what He's done. According to Him dying for us, we have access in that holy place all the time. We get to go in there. As priest, we get to go before Him because of the blood. First Peter... Um, eh, go to First John. one seven. Just a few verses dealing with, with blood. First John one seven. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So even in the practical aspect, He is cleansing us because of that one-time act that He did. And uh, it's an ongoing intercessory. He is a great high priest that uh, will not let anybody go. That's a continual, continual priest that He is. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. I still 
Yeah. And he identifies here um, grace from Christ Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and released us and if I had a Greek text here, maybe we could find out what that word is. I wish I would have looked that up. But I've got a feeling it has to do with to loosen. Uh, luo, which is how we get our word lutrao, which is to set free. Released us from our sins by His blood. By His blood. So, quite a... Precious thing it is, we just look at a few verses dealing with the blood. So the Old Testament sacrifices, as Carolyn was mentioning there, you know, to really kind of get a grasp just on that picture that they had. They had a great picture of salvation in the Old Testament of what it was going to be like. I'm glad we're looking back, but it sure is nice to get a handle on what the Hebrew would have understood. The design and object of the Old Testament sacrifices was to propitiate God. Uh, that means to satisfy Him. It means to appease Him. And some people go, oh, appease God by death? You know, It sounds like some foreign idol, idolatry, some kind of uh, worship of the, of the gods that some of the pagan neighbors had. But He is a God who is holy. And to satisfy His justice, His holiness, His, his wrath, um, there has to be a payment made for our sins, for that's how serious our sins are as a result of uh, our guilt. Uh, the sins that we have bring the guilt. And so we're going to get into propitiation means to what? To satisfy. To, to please God. God was pleased. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 53. And here is probably the ultimate answer to anything that seems to go wrong or seems evil or seems really bad, what's the worst thing? Well, Jesus Christ, in one sense, had to die. It's the best thing. But at the same time, the Father was pleased when He was crushed. You remember that in Isaiah 53? It pleased Him to crush Him. And He was the one doing that. I mean, the whole triune God is involved in this violent death. And ultimately, um, that's the only way that He was going to be pleased, to be satisfied. Uh, there was a picture of it all the way through with the Old Testament sacrifices, but uh, that was nothing without the fulfillment of Christ really doing it. So propitiation was always secured. That satisfaction as a result of the I'm going to get into another word that's really related to it. The expiation, which is dealing with guilt. The expiation of guilt. Um, There was the goat. You would have the, the sacrificial animals and the one of the sacrificial animals would run out. Would run out of the camp. And that symbolized the sin that was being taken out. It was expiation. Remember when we take EX in there, we're talking about out. Propitiation is where God is satisfied. Expiation is um, because what, what is happening there is our guilt, our sin has been removed. As far as the east is from the west, our sin has been taken away, been cast away, right? So, um, the propitiation is always 
as a result of the expiation of the guilt. Now the sin is gone. Sin had to be punished. And the very ones who Christ died for, He paid for. That's who He died for. The very ones that He had predestined before the foundation of the world He comes in makes the payment for them. And uh, the guilt is then removed. And of course, we know in time and in space, He draws us to Him and then we're justified uh, because of the faith that He has granted to us and we believe in Him, but it's all a work of God, but that was done back at, at the cross and not only there, this was all planned out when? Or the foundation of the world. Sins were placed on the animals. The laying on of hands by, by the priest, the high priest, and then the animals were killed and the guilt was expiated. Taken out. And then God is propitiated as a result of that, as a result of the sin taken away. So, the propitiation expiation is helpful. Yes? I was, uh, Carmel, uh, got, uh, got from Carol on the uh, DVD series or whatever, Amazing Grace, about yeah. and so forth. I was absolutely shocked and stunned to find out the classic Armenianism taught that Christ didn't pay for our sins. Only suffer. I could not believe that. That's right. It's shocking, isn't it? I And most of the Armenians today probably wouldn't believe that. But if 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 they do, they're in a they've got a problem though. It's called universalism, which means everybody really is saved because they were all bought and paid for. So they have to do something with it. So what did the true Armenian do? He only suffered. He didn't die for your sins. He didn't pay for your sins. So what happened at the cross? Did he did he pay for all of the sins that he was going to pay for, or did he just make it possible? That's what I always ask. Did he just make it possible? He did his thing. Now it's up to individuals. For the rest of eternity, we're going to make a decision. That's how smart we are. <laughs> That's what we all grew up in. That's that's part of classic Arminianism there. But that's not what you'll see in Scripture. That's what we've been taught. God's ability, all, all uh, God's uh, plan for humankind is to be all hung on whether Abraham is going to say yes. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Right. <laughs> no. That's that's true. Very good. And very much of that difference is God's that less that it would wait for a man to, to decide how you're going to respond. It's all about the gospel, guys. It sounds so simple, and it is. The gospel is simple, but have you noticed how profound that it really gets the more you think about it? It's the old, old story. Don't ever get away from it. We don't need anything new. We just need the old story, which is right here, and look at the depth. And you you get one layer off of there, and you start seeing another layer. And Eldon's been around for a long time, you know, reading and studying. No, I, you know, as a Christian, I didn't mean that. And and I got a feeling you would say you continue to keep learning because you you you, you get excited about God and His Word. The only thing is, 
I see a lot of people at, at my age and even younger and then they get older, they just kind of stop reading and they might still go to church, but they're not they're not excited. They're not really they've heard it all and they don't need need it anymore. That's that's just that's just as simple as it is, and that's all there is. And I'm going, Oh man, they're missing so much. That's why I, I'm thankful for, you know, Eldon and Janice because they've been a great example to us because they continue to read and study and are after it, and that's the way that I want to be and you guys want to be, isn't it? It doesn't stop. It is so good. And then an eternity. Can you imagine how much we're going to learn and learn and learn and learn infinitely, eternally? So this, But this is deep. The book of John is as simple as can be, isn't it? It's very, but it's so profound, isn't it? That's what you were sharing earlier, really. I mean, you start peeling off those layers and all of a sudden you start getting to the depth and you go, oh my. Look at what God is saying here. Yes, Clark. Okay, we were just you know, we're going to know about salvation. And I think Jeremiah 31 says that as far as the covenant, there will mean no need for a man to teach you know, uh, his neighbor and such. We're going to know that. But are we going to know everything that God knows? No. He will continue to show more and more. Uh, John Calvin said that... Bob, do you remember the quote that somebody used the other night? What John Calvin said? And I'm going to use a word and I've got a feeling it's going to be wrong. And I'm just going to throw it out there and I'm not trying to be flippant with this. I'm trying to quote Calvin right and it's probably just really badly quoted. But he said... And and you know yet I have to be really careful with this because you guys know what I believe about the Word of God. You know, let's hold it up high. He said the Bible is like a is is a, is like a toy right now compared to what we will have when we are in eternity. Now the Word of God is going to last forever, but He's going to reveal much more than He ever has here. And a lot of those secrets that and He's not going to show all the secrets. But some of those secrets that we we don't know now that our minds couldn't handle anyway, you know, he's revealed too much anyway. We can't even understand. Yeah, we're having trouble with this. Exactly. We can't even get God in the right place. You know, I'm amazed when I talk to people about how tiny God is. I mean, he's like you know maybe a little bit bigger than people, and you know he can do. No, he can do some stuff. He's, he's pretty. He's cool. Pretty big. But he's not. Not that You know, big. the God that holds the universe in the palm of His hands. How big is that God? <laughs> Your God is too small, right? That's what the the book was titled. I know, and that's what we want our minds to do—to keep expanding more and more in the sense of seeing Him in a bigger and bigger way, and that means we. Hard to decrease ourselves, and the more we decrease, <laughs> the more that we can see of Him. And well, I have a lot of fun with the, with the songs and stuff because we keep trying to describe what we don't know and can't describe. We use all the terms like indescribable. <laughs> How far can you go? Eh? <laughs> That's right. But yeah, as far as knowing what we know now, Barb, it, this um, will know much more at the very instant we are in the presence of God and seeing what what He's about. Um, 
<laughs> we haven't even hit the tip of the iceberg. This is exciting. We've, we have eternity to know about God. He's just given us just a little bit. Um, man. God is satisfied with God, what His Son did, though. And He forgives. He has forgiven us. Expiation was always achieved. And expiation is where that, that sin is cast out. It was always achieved in a vicarious manner. That sounds like a big word. But vicar is the root of that word, which means to be in the place of, to substitute what it, the Pope. I understand that would be a good job for somebody if they wanted to. <laughs> Bob was kidding me the other day when he uh, say, talking about the Pope is getting ready to retire. Yeah. Hey, there's a job opening. What's the what is the Pope? Well, he's he's a vicar of Christ. That means he's in the in the place of Christ here on earth. He's the substitute of Christ. Now, we know better than that, don't we? Um, But Christ is the one who did the vicarious, substitutionary, propitiatory sacrifice. (laughs) Atoning sacrifice. (laughs) We could just keep on going there, right? Uh, But... Expiation was achieved in that in that vicarious manner where he took our place. Whose place did he take care of there? Whose place did he stand instead of? Look at Hebrews nine twenty two. Blood of Christ. What a payment. What a payment. You guys know this verse. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Or the old, uh, probably King James, no remission of sins. No forgiveness of sins. There has to be the blood shed for that forgiveness. You might be wondering what the first part of that is. says one may almost almost say all things are cleansed with blood. Well, he's being very accurate there. But there were certain dry sacrifices that, uh, like for instance, I'm thinking like a a cake, a bread that they'd bring in was part of an offering. You know, part of that sacrifice. That wasn't blood there. But almost all of the sacrifices were bloody sacrifices. Yeah, right. And of course, that's the point here in the Hebrews and the point that we're dealing with. The the blood has to be shed for that. He ransomed us. Uh, He he paid the price of redemption. Uh, What we need to do is look at the cross and see your sins that were laid on Him. And then see Him paying that price that costly price of salvation, eternal salvation, a redemption. And it just makes you want to just fall at His feet and just worship Him. What an extreme cost. No amount of money, silver and gold of all the world that's ever been here could ever pay for that eternal salvation we have. And He paid it all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Because of that, I give my life to Him, right? Ransom. Price of redemption. So the sum of the matter is this. Remember back in Peter where so many weeks ago, so many verses ago, we talked about hope. You look back at 
Verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought at you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The hope. He started with that hope because that was the first command. Hope in the grace of God. Completely on that. So, the sum of this matter is hope in the grace of God. And and then later on, he said, uh, if you address the Father as one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear. Now you have hope, and all of a sudden you have a, what's a negative sounding term, fear. Um, but it's this great reverence of God and, and a fear of Him. Fear that your behavior would not line up with the holiness of God as He calls us to be holy. We know that He is holy. So fear that that you would possibly not treat Him as holy uh, in that sense. And then hope that um, as you're hoping in that grace. And what this does is takes you all the way up to the blood of Christ. It was blood, not money. It was death, not silver or gold. It was costly. Christ had to give His life. And I think there's little wonder then why it's called precious blood. It's uh, If you think of the Father, uh, it was the blood of His dear Son. If you think of the Son, His own life was poured out. And you think of the saints, well, the price of that redemption just rings. Yes? Uh, I don't know if you have this in your notes. In Leviticus uh, 18, or excuse me, chapter 13, verse 11, 12, um, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for by, by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Why do you suppose the Lord was so um, uh, what do I want to say, um, he, uh, why he instructed them that you know that they were to drain all the blood out of the animals before they ate them and stuff like that. I mean, other than the fact that I guess a lot of the pain ate blood, you know, they always like there. You know, that was to differentiate them. But there's a sense here I'm, I'm seeing about you know that that the life is in the blood. God really puts some sort of an importance on you know what He's done in creating our life. And the life being in the blood, and then of course when you take that and elevate it to Christ's blood, that precious blood, you know there seems to be something there. I hope I'm not reading more into it, but like because this this blood is going to eventually, I mean, it's pointing now to the fact that this greater blood, this precious Christ's blood, is going to come and be, you know, the once for all. Redeeming blood. <laughs> I guess I just wanted to kind of right, right, thank you. talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the blood, the life is in the blood. Yeah, the life is in the blood, and you know, so you don't eat it because even though it's animal blood, it's not it's not Christ's precious blood, but it's still God puts a distinction on blood. And then in Acts, Acts 
Deuteronomy when, when they were talking about whether the Gentiles should keep the law. That's one thing they, they kept, that, that they wanted the Gentiles to observe, is to not eat the not to uh-huh. Or it's from blood on him. Yeah. What does blood do in the body? Yeah. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you should not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be thought. So he, he, I guess that's why it's called lifeblood. <laughs> right? Yeah. is three reasons. Oh, yeah. That Mary says it's a mark of respect for life and for its creator. No Israelite could eat meat with blood in it for the life of the flesh and the blood. Mm-hmm. The second reason is that the blood is what makes atonement for our souls. Um, the blood of animals shed and sacrifice took the place of and symbolically redeemed the life of the worshiper. Um, because animal blood was the sign of salvation, man must not consume it. Mm-hmm. And, and after Adam and Eve, First sin, that's what happened. A lamb was slain to cover their, to cover their sins. So, I mean, it's the, the example, I mean, or the, uh, that's not the word, but the, uh, the, the foreshadowing yeah, the type, yeah, is there. Uh, Absolutely. Yep, it's always it's been there since then. And God says to Cain, uh, Blood and blood and brother cries out from the earth and the soil over. So that's very, very important. Powerful term, isn't it? Yeah, very, very. Not that blood in itself is, you know, that we worship blood, but just that that God places that importance on it. His son is going to shed the son of God's blood, you know, for his people. And you ask questions, you know, what blood does in the body? I think I mean, I know where you're headed. Yeah, right. Because it really is. The life isn't blood because it carries life to the body. The oxygen carries it to the body. And it's clearing it, it's purifying it, it's taking all those ingredients out. So that, well, there's a lot of depth to that, isn't it? Just study of that physically probably would give us a lot of spiritual answers, like, of course, what you're saying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, life, <laughs> life. So then, where do Jehovah's Witnesses get their aversion to blood? All of a sudden, they had a, a revelation. Whatever it was before, it's like God changed His mind. You know, they could have transfusions at one time, and all of a sudden, they couldn't have transfusions. I don't even know why the reason is for that. I guess they're hey, well, you need to trust in God rather than and trust in than trusting in the doctors. I, I don't know what that that reasoning why it's even a spiritual matter to them. Yeah. You know that original scripture. We God did not mean for us to receive the life of an animal into our being. Hmm. That is abhorrent to Him. But we do receive the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you are no part of me. Yeah. And right. in the communion service, we participate mm-hmm. in his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So now that is what we do. But we're not to do it with animals. <laughs> 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 
It's corrupt. It is a corrupt. Yeah. Holy Christ. If you don't corrupt. talk about the animal changes for if you don't clean it, the blood's not taken out of it all, drained out of it. The meat is tainted and it's no good to eat either. Just for, yeah. Very important. You can see why people would want to take the blood. You take the blood out of the the gospel. Uh, I mean, it's it, the gospel's gone. There's there's no gospel. When you see the blood, and really, ultimately, it, it's it's the whole atoning, redeeming sacrifice and that violent death of Christ that that he had to go through. You think about that yeah, as he's you know, making that payment. Explain too why that was such a hard teaching for some people. When Jesus said, "This is my blood," yeah, what did they do? Yeah. What do you mean, drink blood? <laughs> Law says you can't do that. <laughs> and they totally misunderstood what yeah, that was about. Wow. Yeah. And of course, some Christians were were taken as being uh, against their gods because they were supposedly drinking the blood of Christ, or whatever, which was absolutely wow. insane. You know, but yeah. <laughs> wow. Precious. Precious, it's unique, spotless, unblemished. Um, somebody mentioned Abraham all ago, Genesis 22. You, you think of that, uh, the sacrifice that was going to be by his son Isaac, but really it turned out to be the sacrificial animal, the ram caught in the thick of. Uh, then in Exodus, you think of the Passover. Great illustration there. We've talked about that before. Then, of course, Leviticus was brought up there. That's the whole atoning work of Christ, which he uh, he shed, shed his blood. Uh, there's another one, uh, redeemed by. And of course, that's simple. But Peter here, he's now going to go into Christ, uh, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, for the blood of Christ. Redeemed by Christ, He's a perfect Lamb. He's a spotless Lamb, the unblemished Lamb. He uh, is the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. You see Him in Revelation, uh, chapter chapter five. There you see the Lamb. There you also see the Lion. He's the most precious Lamb <laughs> that there ever has ever been. Best, but when you bring sheep there, they had to be the best of the sheep. With no spots, no blemishes, they had to be perfect. And we know that God really rips into some of the Hebrew people for them not bringing the best of their animals there, and that's what He required because that blew His type that He had of Christ being the spotless one. Those kind of sheep are going to be a little bit harder to find, and they are going to be worth more. Um, but they were very costly, and that, that's what that was to demonstrate. Go back to, uh, go to Ephesians 1 7. Nice to spend a little time in there sometimes. In Him, we have, in Christ, right? In Christ. We're in Him. We have redemption. You notice redemption and blood keep going together. Through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, boy, is this loaded, according to the riches of His grace. Redemption, blood, forgiveness of sins, riches of His grace. Wow. Could spend 
weeks on those and Martin Lloyd-Jones does. <laughs> okay, um, what about Christ? Well, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This means there had to be a plan. There was a plan. Long before the foundation world, there was a plan. Redeeming work. That means there was a redeeming work because mankind was sinful. And God didn't react to the fall and say, oh my, what am I going to do? Well, let's see, I've got to figure something out now. I made them, I made them innocent. <laughs> he already had it worked out. The atoning work. The atoning work was the eternal plan. God chose Christ to do what He did. I think of Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches a sermon there on the Pentecost. First sermon. And he says, 22, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through Him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, there's what God did, and then here's the responsibility of man, you nailed to a cross. Now try to put those two together in your finite, sinful minds and you'll wind up underneath the bed reciting the Greek alphabet. <laughs> it was a predetermined plan. Praharidzo. Horizon. Horizon. Drawing the mark. Drawing the line. Before. And foreknowledge. That means he knew him, had an intimate relationship. When you see the word foreknowledge, foreknowledge Prognosco, which you will see in Romans chapter 8, that is not seeing an event that's going to happen down the line in the annals of time. It, it means in the Greek just this. It means that He knew you intimately. Not just knowing an event. He's talking about knowing a person and having a relationship. That's why whenever I hear somebody interpreting Romans 8 saying, well, he saw that somewhere in, in the 1900s that Dennis Helton was going to choose him, so he, cho he chose me. That. What, what does that say about the holiness of God and His great knowledge and how He is? That's a spitting into His face. We're talking about he knew. That's changing a translation, uh, an idea of a word, what it means. I know I sound pretty rough on this, but it, it makes me upset because they will use that because they know they're stung there if they reinterpret if they interpret it in that way. So they make it to say, well, he 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 saw that you were going to choose him. Well, God's kind of in control when He does that, doesn't He? Well, another twist that happens is that propitiation. Some will um, try to explain that, but that's not really what that is. That, that, you know, we satisfy God by choosing Him because He gave us free will to love Him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, yeah. That's what makes God so great because He made us, you know, like Him, created us. 
saying, well, and I was defending, you know, my Armenian views, and I was saying, well, but God has, has, has made this plan so that whoever loves him, they can have a free choice to come to him. And that, they're, they're not robots, and they're not automatons. <laughs> they can come to him, and, and he will have people who love him because they wanted to. And you guys both said the same thing. I said, well, where do you find that about uh, there was a silence. <laughs> I realized that it was my own mind. That's what I heard other people say, but I couldn't, uh, well, I couldn't answer that. <laughs> because it wasn't We're right there with you, Dwayne. <laughs> We're right there. Yeah. Okay, so the benefit of those three people back here. Pro Corizo, maybe you used that word. Uh-huh. That well, uh, you break it up in English, and you got pra means before, right. and horizo is like a horizon, you know, marking the line. It's predetermined, which I, I think is uh, really good for English. A predetermined plan. He marked it out uh, beforehand, beforehand, before through the line. Right. Right. And you know, it seems like I'm really pressing all this tonight. You know, about the foreknowledge, but it's because in Peter here, um, this is the heart of the gospel, and what it does, it brings forth the great glory of God. And that's what Peter is trying to show here. If you you know those predetermined plan and foreknowledge there that Barb was bringing up predetermined in in Acts two twenty three and that was dealing with Christ and somebody said well yeah that's Christ but he didn't foreknow us and predetermine us so you, you look at Romans eight which is one of the great texts in dealing with these same two words and used in the same way not an event when I say event that would be something that somebody would make their confession of faith, let's say, on, on their own. In, in Acts, uh, Romans 8, 29, for, and right after he's talked about, he works together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, and there's that foreknowledge, prognosco, uh, that's the same thing that we see Him knowing Christ, having that relationship, those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, and that's your word predetermined, or your praharizo. So there's the two words. So there's a difference between those two words, but they definitely go together. He knew us beforehand intimately, and He predetermined what? That we'd be conformed to the image of His Son. So that would be like Christ. So that he would be the firstborn man of brother. The, the, the ultimate thing is he wants us to be like Christ. But even more than that, what is the next phrase? That Christ would be the firstborn or preeminent amongst all of us. Ultimately, it's about his glory when he uh, does this great plan that he has, making us like Christ, who had that precious blood. Build for us. Tony work, eternal plan. So we can say, well, when was that? Well, um, there's no when in eternity. <laughs> so, 
Or you can say it was... Yeah. Ephesians 1.4 Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that would be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us, predetermined us that we are going to be adopted as sons, place us right into His family, through Jesus Christ, to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. Why? To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. I could go on and on and on. This is all about Him. Did you see anything about us doing anything here? First 13 verses there, or 3 through 13, all one sentence in the Greek. And what, what happens as a result of that? He gets a glory. Simple, but rather profound. So, for He was foreknown for the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days. Appeared is phanerao. It means to uh, make visible, to be seen, to be manifested. Uh, this is Christ who came to earth and He was he appeared. And it says the last days. The last days was during the time of Christ up until even right now. That's been all the last days during the church age. He appeared in these last days. For this, yeah. Go ahead. That, that's the uh, what you're now getting into on Sundays with Mark and the oh, and, yeah. uh, John the Baptizer announcing his coming appearance. Here he is. He appeared. Yeah. Get ready. That's right. Yeah. We gotta go. Hey, see you guys. Bye. It's it's time. We're gonna close here. Too. So go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, the last part is he's redeemed for us. Yeah, I, I might I might just leave that for next week and then we'll go on from there. Uh, you certainly can, because we have one minute. I've been thinking for some reason. I looked in my I do this, but I get my concordance and I look up the word and I see all these scriptures for it, and this one just. Flew right out at me in Colossians uh, chapter 1, uh, 19 and 20, uh, 20, where it says, And through him, Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And that's a whole other teaching, you know, the, the making peace, reconciling. Because Really, I mean, you know, you think about it, we've been talking about His precious blood redeeming us, buying us out because of our sins. But what's going on? Well, we've been at war with Him ever since the fall. We've been at war with, with God. And now He's made peace through His blood. That's good. Because, not you know, we know well, we're forgiven. You know, right. He has to do it. It's His covenant. He could have just forgiven us and said, okay, there. Yeah. But He not only does that, but He gives us peace. 
Yeah. There's another thing the blood did. I mean, look yeah. what the, the death did. I mean, there are like 30,000 different things that he did. That's, that's, that's important. We now know we are at peace with him. Yeah. <laughs> Through him. Reconciled in Christ. Well, um, why don't we stop there? That's a good stopping point. As we move right on through First Peter, he got uh, he got pretty heavy doctrinally, didn't Peter? Uh, you know, you don't usually think about this book because it's a very practical book. But you know what he's doing here? When you have doctrine and correct doctrine, you're going to have right thinking. And when you have right thinking, you have right living. That's the way it always works. When you know what salvation is all about, and you know how great this God is and how much He loves you and what He did and what He paid for you, then He says, as a result of that, it only makes sense that you desire to live for Him. And that's what the rest of First Peter is going to do. Exactly. And then that gives glory to God. Because now, that's why doctrine is so extremely important. Uh, and there's always a balance, uh, you know, a practice of it too. Ephesians 1 through 3. And then 4 through 6 with an L. Romans, 11 chapters. And then boom, chapter 12. Here's how you live it. What is it? We found it in, we even found it in Titus. We found it in Colossians. Every book we look at, doctrine, Christian living. Sets it up. Now, now, here's why you can do it. Here's how you can do it because of what he did. Anyway.